with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and we are back after a short hiatus this summer. This episode will kick off our in-season coverage of the 2019 NFL Draft and, of course, the 2018 college football season. We've never really done this before full-time, so I hope you're all as excited as I am to look to the future a little bit as the Eagles prepare to take the field for this season. We will also be looking ahead at players that will make them better for 2019 and beyond. We have got a jam-packed show today, and I'm really excited to give you the outline for what our shows will look like here on a weekly basis this fall. At the top of this week's show, we've got Draft Buzz, where I chat with NFL Draft Insider Tony Pauline, and this is going to be a weekly occurrence. Tony is the best, and I mean the best, when it comes to breaking news surrounding the NFL Draft on a year-round basis, whether it's players who see their stock rising or falling during the season, players declaring early for the draft, which teams have heavy interest in which players, Tony's track record speaks for itself. So he's going to be on the show every week, and we will cover the latest news and notes, new mock drafts, any new buzz he's hearing from around the country. We're going to cover it all with Tony. So over the next couple of weeks, as we ramp up for the start of the season, we'll focus in on specific position groups as I hit Tony up for some info on some of the top names to know at every position on the field. After Draft Buzz each week, we'll then transition to Scouting Report, which is a new segment on the Journey to the Draft podcast. But those of you who listen to Eagle Eye in the Sky know that is where I take a deep dive into a player and read you all of my notes after watching his film. This week, that player will be Oregon pass rusher Jalen Jelks. Now, after Scouting Report, we will jump into a segment that you all know and love, Mr. Relevant, where every week I will try to catch up with a guest from around the college football landscape. This may be a coach. It may be a draft analyst. It may be a college beat writer. It could be anybody. This week, that anybody is Coach Mark D'Onofrio. Now, he is the defensive coordinator at the University of Houston, in charge with unleashing one of the best players in college football, defensive tackle Ed Oliver, on opposing offenses. Now, I'll ask Coach D'Onof about Ed Oliver and some of the other top Cougars on the roster in a quick conversation you don't want to miss. Now, after Mr. Relevant, once the season starts, we will have our Saturday scouting segment. Those of you that have followed me for a while know every week during the season, I publish my Saturday scouting column highlighting a handful of matchups to watch for that slate of games on Saturday. Well, in this podcast, I will highlight one of those matchups along with my buddy Ben Fennel, who goes to college campuses every week throughout the course of the season through ESPN, and we will talk about a matchup that excites both of us for that coming week. And we'll talk about where Ben's travels took him in the week before and where he's going this weekend. So that'll be a lot of fun. Then to wrap things up each and every week, we will close the show with a draft mailbag. I'll take some questions from you guys on social media as well as on all of our podcast pages and answer them here on the show. As you guys can tell, I'm jacked about this podcast and continuing this throughout the fall. If you have any thoughts or ideas, feel free. Jump on, ask on Apple Podcasts or shoot me a note on Twitter. But I'm excited to get things going. And enough of that, though. Let's get things started with the latest and greatest surrounding the 2019 NFL Draft with our buddy Tony Pauline. It's time for Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. Pleased to be joined for the very first time this fall on the Journey to the Draft podcast 
one Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com. You could follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Tony Pauline. Tony, uh, we're getting ready here. The season's almost kicking into gear. Uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of different positions over the course of the next few weeks, and then you'll be joining us each and every week throughout the course of the season uh, to provide your insight, everything you're hearing. Uh, you've obviously always got your nose and your ears to the grindstone, uh, picking up the latest news and notes and buzz when it comes to college football and the NFL draft. So really excited to get things going. And, you know, in this episode, as you and I have talked about, we're going to focus in on the trenches this week and, you know, the offensive line and the defensive line. And this is being billed, this this upcoming NFL draft, as the year of the defensive linemen. And really the name that's generating the most buzz is true junior defensive tackle Ed Oliver from Houston. He declared for the draft, what was it, 14 months ahead of schedule. Uh, it was this past spring, I want to say it was February, where he declared for the 2019 NFL draft, 6'2", 290 pounds, former five-star recruit who stayed at home to play for the Houston Cougars, bypassed a number of big-time offers for other big programs. What are you hearing about Ed Oliver and what his stock could be moving into this season? Is he kind of a lock for the top two or top three of this upcoming draft in your eyes? Well, first let me say it's a pleasure to, uh, to join you. I'm really looking forward to, uh, to the coming weeks. Of course, the season never really ends because once the draft is over, <laughs> start watching film for the next year's draft. So it, it, it's basically one after the other. Now, getting back to Oliver, no, he's not a lock to be a top-two pick. I mean, if you remember a year ago, we were talking about Sam Darnold being a lock as the first selection of the 2018 draft. Not only was Darnold not the first pick of the draft, he wasn't even the first quarterback selected in the draft. Now, I'm seeing a lot of comparisons to Aaron Donald, and from what I've seen on film and talked to people, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. Oliver is a very talented lineman. He's explosive. He's athletic. He has a great first step. He's a guy who can, covers a lot of area on the field. He's got an excellent change of direction, can pursue laterally with speed and make plays outside the box, but he doesn't have great bulk. He doesn't have uh, great strength at the point the way Aaron Donald did. I mean, he's a guy who really struggles getting off blocks and is more of a first-step lineman, um, which I think will come. I mean, he's still very young. Uh, only was a true sophomore last year, be a, a true junior, so it will come with physical maturity. But he's got to try and get a little bit bigger, get a little bit stronger, and keep that quickness and agility that's made him such a terror uh, at Houston. Locke is a top-two pick. I think it's very premature. I think that if he has a good year, and remember, a lot of these guys who kind of uh, declare that early for the draft, uh, the, the, uh, the season or declare for the draft before their final season tend to take a redshirt season. He's got to have a good season. He's got to show progress in the areas where he's lacking the bull rush and the strength of the point, and he'll be an early selection. Tony, I guess to follow up on that, I mean, lo just looking at him as a player, I, I agree with you. I wouldn't say that he's like a, a shoe-in, definitely top two, top three kind of selection. He's a great player. I love Ed Oliver, but he certainly has to get better in a lot of key areas. You mentioned uh, the strength at the point of attack. There are times where he does get moved uh, in the run game, and that can be an issue for him at times. Do you think he's going to get knocked at all? I mean, there aren't a lot of huge questions in this game, so I'd imagine this is going to be one of the big talking points for people in terms of the level of competition. Yeah, we've seen him dominate you know, his very first college game against Oklahoma and you know, when they play out of conference, but you know, playing on a week-to-week -week basis in the AAC, do you think he's going to get knocked for that at all as the process continues? No, I don't think so. I mean, good football players you know, play good football. You look at the uh, 
quarterback in uh, Philadelphia, Carson Wentz, who played at North Dakota State. So I don't think that's a sticking point. I mean, you've had some decent offensive linemen out of the American Athletic Conference. And the fact of the matter is this is, you know, he's the guy that's going to draw the attention uh, of the opponents. He's the, he's the guy that's going to be doubled and triple teamed. He's the guy that's going to be game-planned around by, a, uh, by the opposition. So it's going to be a challenge for him every week, no matter who he's playing against. So if it's not Ed Oliver, the other big name that's really getting the most buzz at this point is another underclassman, and this guy is not declared for the upcoming draft yet. So we're not going to dive too deep into his game over the course of the fall, Tony, but tell me about Nick Bosa and how he compares to his older brother, Joey Bosa, at this stage of their career. Is he better? Is he worse? Is he about the same? How do you view the comparison between Nick Bosa, the true junior, to his older brother, Joey? And from what I'm hearing, it would be a surprise if, if Nick Bosa doesn't declare for the draft once the, once the season's over, unless there's an injury or some outstanding circumstance. I think Joey Bosa was a little bit better, a little bit more impactful uh, at equal stages in their career. He was the guy that really opponents had to guard against. I think, Bosa, I think the brother, younger brother Nick is a little bit behind, but not far uh, at this point in time. They're very similar in the sense that uh, they're great football players. I don't think they're, good, they're great athletes. Now, if you remember Joey Boza in the lead-up to when he was selected, you know, there was talks about the poor 40 time and the poor three-cone time and the, and the slow shuttles, and, and everybody was worried about that. But when you went back on the film and you watched the tape, you just saw a great football player. I think it's a similar situation with Nick Boza. When I see a guy, I don't see a guy who looks like a great athlete, but I see someone who's consistently making plays, specifically behind the line of scrimmage, really blowing up the uh, offensive game plans. I think uh, they're similar in that type. I think Joey Boza was a little bit ahead, but again, you know, we're talking a guy who's been in college for two years. He still has another, uh, another season before he likely declares for the draft. And again, I think like, Joey, uh, like his brother Joey, Nick Bowles is going to be an early selection. Yeah, and I think really you mentioned he's got one more year. And in this year, I think we're kind of expecting Nick Bosa to take on more of a full-time role. They play with a huge rotation on that defensive line the last couple of years. Uh, really am looking forward to seeing Nick and really in a more full-time role. Can he develop as a run defender, get a little bit better there? That's going to be really interesting to watch for the Buckeyes this year. Let's stay on the defensive line. One guy I love, This is let's get to talk about a senior now. I love Jalen Jelks from Oregon. I mean, he's six five and a half. He's 240-plus pounds. He's long. He's athletic. He's got a quick first step. He's lined up up and down the line. Why is he not getting more love right now? We hear all about this defensive line class and how great it is. I'm not really hearing Jelks' name at all. It's just because he's a West Coast guy playing for the Ducks. What's the deal here, and what are you hearing about Jalen Jelks? Well, I don't think it has anything to do with him being a West Coast guy because the scouts are going to grade based on uh, on productivity and potential. I think what Jelks is is what position is he going to play at the next level. You know, you mentioned the good things about his game, the length, the fact that he comes out of a three-point stance and he stands over tackle, but he's not a real fast guy. You know, he's a guy who runs and plays in the 4'8". You know, is he an outside linebacker running 4'8 in the 40? Is he, uh, is he a defensive end at 245 pounds? Uh, so I think there's some sort of uh, discussion or debate or concern as to where he's going to line up at the next level. Now, at 6'5 and a half, he obviously has some growth potential. So you think that down the road he gets up to 265, 270 pounds, and I would expect that before the combine of 2019. He's probably more of a full-time defensive end, but I think right now – you know, the reason he's being graded as a middle-round choice as opposed to a top 100 selection is there's some concern as to where he's going to line up at the next level. 
I'm, I'm very interested to see how you know his stock kind of progresses over the course of the year. I think honestly, from the guys I've seen so far, and I've far from watched you know a hundred guys even. He looks like a first or second round pick to me. Like I'm excited about his development. Uh, let's get to another guy. Another guy who I really love, based purely off film. That's Daniel Wise from Kansas. We don't often see a lot of uh, big time talents come out of Kansas, and I wouldn't say Daniel Wise is like a big time talent. He's not like this quick first step guy. He's not going to wow you with his athleticism, but he's strong. He can anchor against the run. He's a high motor kid. I would say honestly, outside of Ed Oliver, whose motor is ridiculous, Daniel Wise's motor and his hustle is probably second to just Oliver. I mean, he, he some of the plays that he made in pursuit, I thought were just outstanding. So. What what are some of the things you're hearing about Daniel Wise? How is he not getting more love as we stand here today? Yeah, right now also graded as a as a middle round pick, like a fourth round selection. I think two things with, with Wise is, you know, he had a he had a he had a solid sophomore year. He really capped it off with a very productive uh, uh, season in 2017. I think it was like 16 tackles for loss, seven sacks. Uh, you know, he has to improve on that. Now, the one thing about Kansas is you're right. I mean, Kansas has been a terrible program. But they did have Dorrance Armstrong last year, who was the fourth-round pick of the Dallas Cowboys. And Armstrong was the guy who really got a lot of the, uh, a lot of the protections uh, uh, pushed towards him, uh, was really focused on by the opponents, which basically freed things up a little bit for Daniel Wise. Armstrong's gone. He's now in the NFL. So if Wise has another season like he did in 2017 and then goes on to have some real good, strong pre-draft uh, workouts, I definitely think he's going to jump into the second day of, uh, of the 2019 draft. Just has to continue to progress. You want to see him get a little bit stronger, uh, a little bit better technique with his hands. But I-, I think right now they're looking at the fact that he had a very good pass rusher on his outside, which freed things up for him on the inside. Now that Doris Armstrong's gone, he will be the focus of attention. Let's see how he does in 2018. Tony, I mentioned that this is being billed as the year of the defensive line, and really, if you kind of boil it down into a microcosm, it really every all eyes are pointed on this Clemson D line. You know, you had all those guys that were rumored to declare for the draft a year ago, all decide to go back. You've got Christian Wilkins at defensive tackle; he's going to be a senior this year, right next to Cleveland Farrell, who's a defensive end. He's going to be a redshirt junior, big time kid. He's got top twenty potential. Dexter Lawrence now a true junior nose tackle. Austin Bryant getting a lot of love uh, as another senior pass rusher. This is a really good group from top to bottom across the front four. Who is the highest pick, you think, when it's all said and done out of these four guys? I mean, it really, I look at this, the first three guys I mentioned, and I say, yeah, these are probably the top three guys, but who do you see as being the number one selection from that group? Yeah, and you basically preface that well. I mean, the fact that all three of those guys from Clemson decided to go back to school, that was the biggest story in the lead-up to the draft, and that really put a dent in a lot of people's draft plans. Uh, all those guys are first-round talent. In fact, I, I'm sure we'll get into it in future podcasts. I mean, that Clemson defense, really even with their linebackers and their secondaries, has enormous talent. And they have a fourth defense, a fifth defensive lineman by the name of Huggins who's probably going to be a third-round pick. Now, to answer your question, <clears throat> I, I think if the, if the draft were held today, Cleveland Farrell would be the first player selected off of that defensive line because he's been a very good player, he's an outstanding pass rusher, he's a guy who can come out of a three-point stance, stand up over tackle, he makes plays in space on a consistent basis, and he's more consistent. Christian Wilkins has the highest upside. I mean, Wilkins, this is the second year in a row, Wilkins has been graded as the top prospect, the top NFL prospect by a number of scouts on the college level. Last year when they graded juniors, 
Wilkins was rated as the number one prospect. The fact, the problem is, though, Christian Wilkins doesn't always play like the number one prospect on the college level. When he's on top of his game, you can't stop him. I mean, he's explosive. He's athletic. He's a guy who can occupy the gaps. He can defend the run. He can rush the passer. He can change direction, get out in space, and make plays uh, in the open field against running backs. The problem is he doesn't always do it. So you have to see it. If Christian Wilkins plays up to his potential, he's going to be a very early pick. If he kind of has an up-and-down season the way he did in 2017, then he's probably going to fall because people are going to be concerned that he's just a big guy who gets by on a natural ability. Now, last year in the, in the lead-up, uh, when, when the Clemson kids made their announcement that they were staying, someone told me that you know Wilkins is well-liked. Uh, he's a guy that if he's not an all-pro in the NFL, they could see him as a CEO of a company or of a corporation on Wall Street or in business. I mean, he's a well-rounded individual, which, you know, some people will like. Some people say, well, you know, football's not a priority. We're going to have to see that with Christian Wilkins. If the draft was held today, I think Farrell's the first guy to come off the board from that Clemson program. But Christian Wilkins, hands down, has the greatest amount of upside and potential. Yeah, put me in the uh, in the category of loving Christian Wilkins. I I love that guy. I watched him now the last couple of years, and I'm a big fan of his game. I agree with you. I think his upside is the highest. Now I'll ask you the same question, except now we're going to go over the other side of the ball. Let's talk about the offensive line and this Wisconsin group because uh, you know we usually see you know one guy, two guys, you know maybe two guys come from that group every year. This year, I feel like all five guys are legitimate prospects. Uh, when you start, really, I guess, from left tackle Mike Dieter all the way across, who stands out most to you in terms of their overall pro upside? Who will be the first pick from this Wisconsin front five? It'd be the right tackle, David Edwards. And you're right. I mean, all five guys from this Wisconsin offensive line will be playing in the NFL if they want to be, you know, if there's no injuries or anything. But I think David Edwards, the right tackle, is the guy that has the highest upside. I I recently gave him a late first-round grade. I talk with people who feel that if he plays, if he continues to progress upon what he showed in 2017 and he gets stronger and he improves his game, He'll be a top 15 pick in 2019 if he enters the draft, which a lot of people expect him to do. I mean, he's a big guy. He's a mobile guy. He's relatively agile. He's not just a small area lineman like Dieter or a Ben Washbull are. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, is a right tackle in college, may be able to play on the left side in the pros. He's not a, a hulking guy. He's just a taller guy, six foot six, 315 pounds. He can block on the move. I, I mean, this guy is... He's not NFL ready as NFL ready as some of his teammates, but he's got great upside potential, and the arrow is pointing in the right direction. So I think it's David Edwards, and I think it's pretty significantly a large margin by Dave, Dave Edwards. I like the other guys, uh, Biadaz, the, uh, the the redshirt sophomore or a center, uh, Dietzen, the uh, the junior guard, but I think Edwards far and away is the only sure first-round pick, and if things go as projected, he's going to be an early first-round pick. So going from the group that is being billed as the number one group in college football to a player that's probably being billed as the number one, at least senior prospect at the position, let's talk about Washington left tackle Trey Adams coming off a knee injury from last year, but this kid's got a lot of tools. I mean, he's 6'8", he's over 330 pounds, he's nasty, he can hold his ground in pass protection. What are your thoughts on what you've heard so far about Trey Adams, the, the Huskies left tackle? Yeah, relatively athletic. In a lot of ways, his game reminds me of Lane Johnson and the fact that 
He's big and strong uh, as a run blocker, but he's immobile enough to, uh, uh, to uh, pass protect on the left side if necessary. You know, two things about Trey Adams. Number one, he's got to re- rebound from that injury, and he's got to show new, new, no ill effects from that injury. He also has to step his game up because if you remember, you come off the 2016 uh, campaign, and he looked like he was a surefire first-round pick. The beginning of 2017, before he hurt his knee, specifically that Rutgers game early in the season, he did not look good. He was immobile. He didn't show a lot of agility. So you watch the 2016 film on Trey Adams, you think this guy's first round, this guy's top 15. You watch the Rutgers game, you watch some of the early games of 2017 before he hurt himself, he looked like a middle-round pick. So the thing with Adams is, like you said, a number of scouts around the league have already graded him as the top senior prospect along with Christian Wilkins uh, on their list. But Adams has got to return from injury, and he's got to get back to where he was in 2016 and build upon that. If he does that, he's going to be a very early selection. Tony, the last question I've got for you for this podcast, you look at Zach Bailey, you know, the offensive lineman from South Carolina. I feel like he's a little bit underrated coming into this season, his senior year. He's coming off the injury that uh, bothered him last year. He also played right tackle a year ago. I really feel that his best position is probably a guard at the next level. He played guard earlier in his career. Where is his stock looking like right now, and how can he help himself this season? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on the, on the fact that I think he's better off at guard. Uh, he's more of a small area lineman. Uh, he's got to return from the injury. You know, the fact is this is, how versatile is he? Because when I watched him on film, he was a little bit sluggish. He was more of a small area lineman. He's got great size, 6'5 and a half, 315 pounds. He plays to that size. He's a nasty lineman. <clears throat> if he doesn't test well, if he has a good senior season but doesn't show the ability to say block in motion or be used in a zone blocking system because he can't move his feet because he's not mobile enough, that's really going to depress his draft stock. I'm going to throw one other name out here from South Carolina for you. His teammate, Dennis Daly. Uh, who was a sometime starter at left tackle, 6'5 and a half, 310 pounds. If you watch uh, South Carolina this upcoming season, you watch Bailey on the right side, make sure you take a look at this kid Dennis Daly on the left side because when I watched him, the few times he started, he blew me away. He's got excellent footwork. He's got excellent size. He can come off the edge and cover a lot of area with his ability to slide. Just has to work on his uh, angles a little bit more. But I think that could be the surprise offensive line pick from the South Carolina Gamecocks. Well, interesting. Well, the, the last thing, Tony, and you and I each week, as long as there's mock drafts coming out, and obviously that'll pick up as we get closer and closer to the draft, we'll try and pick one guy each week that, the, that an expert has the Eagles selecting. Just get your thoughts on the pick overall. And I'm going to dick back to a, to a mock draft. This is back May 3rd. You know, we, had, we saw all those mock drafts, those two early mock drafts, uh, right after the 2018 draft. Todd McShay, ESPN, back on May 3rd, slotted South Carolina wide receiver Debo Samuel. We just got done talking about the Gamecocks offensive line. But let's talk about Debo Samuel to the Eagles and what Todd says will be the 28th overall pick. We'll see if the Eagles aren't picking number 32 once again. I love Debo Samuel, and at 28, I would love the Eagles to get a, a player like Debo Samuel. Just under six foot, he's over 200 pounds. He's great after the catch. What have you heard about Debo Samuel? How is he looking like coming off the injury? What are your thoughts overall on him as he enters his senior year? Yeah, and he's also a game-breaking return specialist at times. You know, I haven't heard anything good or bad about the return of Debo Samuel from the broken leg. A broken leg is a significant injury for any player, especially a wide receiver. I mean, if he has a knockout year and then he, he works out well before the draft, and more importantly, you know, he 
goes well with the combine medicals because even though we see a player, you know, who looks okay on the field, during those combine medicals when they're doing MRIs and they're pulling on the guy's leg, especially a guy like Debo Samuel, that leg is going to be red flagged, so they're going to pay special attention to that injury. I mean, if everything checks off and he has the season that is expected, he's never been really crazy productive. I think his sophomore season he had like 59 receptions. You know, he steps up his production. He shows durability, although it was a freak accident, the uh, freak injury, the, the broken leg. And most importantly, he passes combine medicals. I think he's gonna be, he could be a first-round pick. But that, you know, it, it's going to we, – we have to wait a while from where we are today, you know, before we, we find out uh, really late March – uh, of 2019 about the injury situation or how NFL teams look at the injury, the broken leg, the uh, prior broken leg of Debo Samuel. Well, Tony, that'll wrap it up. The first edition of our draft buzz here on the Journey to the Draft podcast for the 2018 season. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Look forward to it. Great stuff from Tony. You can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Tony Pauline. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com and at the NovaCare Complex. And make sure you go and check out our draft page over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Not only are those podcasts here all season, and you're going to see them throughout the course of the fall. But that's where you can find my weekly Saturday scouting column highlighting the best matchups each week. There's some extra video content on there as well. So make sure you go check all of that out on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or on the Eagles mobile app. All right, let's keep this show going. I told you earlier we would break down Oregon pass rusher Jalen Jelks. He's one of my personal favorites in terms of prospects I've watched so far this summer. Let's take a look now in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Jalen Jelks, he's six foot five and a half. He's 245 pounds. He was a second team all conference player last year in the Pac 12. He's a Phoenix, Arizona kid. He didn't play football until his sophomore year in high school. He thought he would be a basketball player. His dad played at Kentucky State. Oregon comes across this kid, and they see a kid with length, athleticism. He's built almost like an NBA small forward, and they thought he was someone that they could work with. Now, he's going to go into his second year as a starter at defensive end in Jim Levitt's 3-4 scheme. He lined up mostly at right defensive end as a 4-I or a 5 technique out of a 3-point stance in their base package and as a 3 technique in their sub package. And he when he did line up, he lined up on both sides. Now, that role is the same role that like Fletcher Cox played under Chip Kelly and Billy Davis a few years ago. So you get an idea of how he was used. He, he spent most of his time in the trenches. Now, as I continued watching more and more Oregon, you see, you know what, sometimes they're going to slide him further outside. And you saw him stand up off the edge at times and show off some of that athleticism. This is a tall kid. He's long, a lean athletic frame, really impressive athlete with great burst in a short area. His flexibility to turn his hips around the corner, impressive lateral movement, easy change of direction in the backfield, shocking speed in the open field. I mean, his athletic traits, his physical traits are eye-opening. He flies out of his stance. He's very light on his feet. He can shoot gaps. And when he gets into the backfield, he can stick his foot in the ground and flatten parallel to the line of scrimmage and chase the football. As a pass rusher, his go-to move, I would say, is probably a decent bull rush, but he'll also work in a quick club move, a smooth rip move, and a violent hand swipe. He's very effective on their various stunts and the games that they use up front there because of his movement skills, and he attacks passing lanes if he can't get home. He had more pass breakups than any defensive lineman in the entire country 
per, 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 per pro football focus in 2017. He attacks blocks with tight hands in the run game, keeps his pads low despite his height. He locks his arms out in an attempt to two-gap and control the down. He works hard to stay square to the line of scrimmage. He, he'll drop his anchor and flash even the ability to hold up against a double team, even though he's only 240-plus pounds. He w- plays with proper technique, and I like that about him. He's got a violence to him at the point of attack against tight ends and even against tackles. He's a really violent tackler at the point of contact as well. I like the way he competed at the point of attack. He played with great energy, even with his lack of size in the trenches. And he's a rangy kid, high motor, will navigate through traffic to find the ball with excellent closing speed. So you can tell there are a lot of things I really liked about his game. Now, from a negative standpoint, I think Jelks going into his senior year, he can get jarred a little bit on contact. You see that that lack of true power and true play strength can show up at times there. He can get steered away from the action and thrown out of the club if he's not careful. So he's got to continue to beef up and get a little bit stronger on the ground a little bit more than I'd like to see and not powerful enough right now to consistently collapse the pocket against NFL offensive tackles. He can continue to improve his hand use as a pass rusher, get better with his counter moves. He can get stuck on blocks at times and he will miss some tackles because he doesn't always wrap up and he lacks the strength to consistently finish one-on-one he was never really asked either to drop into coverage so while he's an athlete that's still a little bit of a projection for him if you're a 3-4 team and you want to see him move in reverse he just wasn't asked to do that much at Oregon now overall this kid is a twitched up pass rusher he's dripping with potential thanks to his combination of size and athleticism he played a little bit out of position as mostly an interior player for them especially early on in the year so there's certainly some projection there but I really like his upside he needs to get stronger better with his hands the tools are there to be special off the edge scheme and position diverse you don't often see that he's one of the top prospects in the country based off of what I've seen I would say that he's very similar to what the Minnesota Vikings have in Everson Griffin when he was coming out of USC he was a mid-round pick I expect Jalen Jelks to go higher than that I think that he could work his way into the top half of the first round whereas right now he's not really being talked about I think by most people in that vein but that's how I feel about Jalen Jelks you can tell I'm pretty excited about what this kid can be at the next level one of the more intriguing players at his position in the upcoming NFL draft. All right, let's keep this thing rolling. I was happy to be joined by Mark D'Onofrio this week on Mr. Relevant. As I said earlier in the show, he is the defensive coordinator for the University of Houston, so he coaches one of the best players in the country, defensive tackle Ed Oliver, who is already declared as a true junior for the 2019 NFL draft. Let's get to that chat right now. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Really excited to be joined by a guy that I've had a really good relationship with, and he knew me very early on in my career, uh, right when I entered the the working world of football. So uh, Coach Mark D'Onofrio with the Houston Cougars probably saw me at my very worst, but we'll get into a little bit of that later. Uh, I appreciate the time here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. And Coach D'Onofrio, first of all, welcome. And number two, uh, I want to ask you about Ed Oliver because he is the, the number one guy that everybody is talking about around the country in college football, uh, has declared for the draft almost a year ahead of time. So I wanted to get your thoughts on him because he, this is a player that obviously is getting a lot of buzz. For those fans and listeners that haven't yet seen him play, you obviously see him every day and you get the chance to work with him. Give us a quick scouting report on Ed Oliver and what fans could expect before they get to get their eyeballs on him for the first time. Well, I think you know uh, the first thing when you talk about you know physical tools, he's he's obviously a, a really gifted player. He's super explosive, has has great feet, and and you know and can run. 
and uh, you know, but there's a, there's a lot of players that have you know that have physical tools. Obviously, I think where Ed separates himself um, is he, he is he is really a student of the game. He works really hard at at, at that part of it, and you know, pre-snap reads and blocking schemes and protections and all those sorts of things he puts time into. Um, and then and then the part that allows him to make some of the plays that you see is is the relentless motor. So. Um, you know, he, he plays extremely hard. He makes a lot of high effort plays, um, and and so I think you know, when you know when you when you talk about him, I think you got to look at it. You know, all three components. He obviously has outstanding ability. Um, you know, he's he's got the ability in terms of the FBI and, and working at the game, and then and then he has a relentless motor. So I think when you put those three things together, you end up with a player like that. And I'm glad you brought up just what he's like off the field because you read a lot of – there's been a lot of stories. There's a lot written about Ed Oliver, a blue-collar kid. You know, he grew up on the horse farm there in Houston and you know about him building the, the horse stalls from scratch over the course of one summer. Do you have a story or you know any kind of like anecdotal memory about what he's just like off the field just to give fans kind of a, a look inside the locker room there and, and what he would bring to his future NFL team? Well, you know, I, I think the biggest thing that 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 sets Ed apart, is, you know, is his work ethic and and is, uh, you know, the effort, you know, that he, that he plays with. So um, he's very self motivated. Um, he's constantly working, you know, working to be the best, and he's and he's definitely not satisfied, um, you know, with where he's at right now. Even though he's had some incredible accolades in the first few years, um, I think you know he should, he should be the best, you know, the best player ball and. Uh, you know, win the championship and, and, you know, eventually be the best pro that he could possibly be. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I think uh, the biggest thing is he's he's a guy who's self-motivated. Um, and when he gets on the field, he takes a lot of pride in his play. And uh, that's evident, you know, in the way he practices and, and, and in the effort you see in games. So, Coach, Ed Oliver, obviously not the only player uh, for the Cougars this year that you know is going to be draft eligible and that NFL fans will be familiar with. Uh, two guys in particular that I want to ask you about. And, you know, if you could just give a brief summary of those two and what they bring to the table, kind of introduce them to fans. Uh, Gerard Carter, number 52, and then the safety, Garrett Davis, who led the team with four picks in 2017. Uh, just, again, just a brief summary, brief scouting report on what those two guys will bring to the table when they make that transition to the next level. Yeah, two two uh, very good players, very experienced players, uh, played played in a lot of a lot of games, and were were part of uh, you know both a part of big wins uh, here over the last you know three and four years. So uh, you know, starting with Gerard, um, Gerard missed the first half of the season um, with a foot injury, and um, when he came back, he came back for us against South Florida. Uh, and they were uh, you know they were ranked I think 17th at that point, and had scored 30 points uh, you know in 24 straight games or whatever it was at that point. And, and Gerard came in and probably played twice as many snaps as we thought we'd play him in that game. Um, and it was evident in that game uh, that the combination him and Ed, you know, together uh, really, you know, made us different. So um, he's a heck of a player in his own right. He's a he's a workman-like guy who's, who's very talented. But, uh, you know, just another extremely hard, very physical player, tough player. And gives us some versatility across the front. So, uh, you know, we were different when we got when we got him back. And uh, to looking to looking toward a great year from him this year. Um, Garrett Davis, he's versatile. He started, you know, at the nickel position. So he was playing nickel. And then last year we moved him to, uh, you know, field safety you know, from there. And that's what the continue to play here. He's got all the tools um, that you, that you look for. 
on people's radar in terms of next level. But uh, Meke Egbule, he's our outside linebacker, uh, number eight, uh, is a guy that uh, you know, he's in the 6'2 to 6'3 range, 235 pounds, can probably play inside or outside. Uh, Isaiah Johnson's a corner who can really run. It was from wide out last year. He's closing in on 6'2 and can really run, and I, I expect him to have a big year. Um, you know, at corner, um, you know, we also had a graduate transfer by the name of Darian Owens uh, from Miami, uh, who had nine tackles in the Orange Bowl last year against Wisconsin uh, in his last game there. And, and, uh, and he's closing in on 6'3", 245 pounds. So um, I think, we've, like I said, I think we've got a, a bunch of depth here in our senior class. And, and uh, having done this for a while, I think these are all guys that uh, are going to have the ability to, to, to play at the next level. Coach, appreciate the time here uh, on the Journey to the Draft podcast, and uh, we will be looking forward to a great season from you guys, and I appreciate the time here as always. We'll talk to you soon. All right, awesome. Thanks, Brent. Outstanding information there from Coach Denoff, who you can follow on Twitter at Coach M. D-O-N-O-F-R-I-O. D-O-N-O-F-R-I-O. And speaking of Twitter, you guys know how much I love when you guys tweet out the show or post about it on Facebook, it's great support, and I love you all for it. What we love most here, though, is when you take a minute and head over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, give us a rating and leave us a comment. We could really use your love and support on all those platforms, especially with the podcast relaunching this fall. So I wanted to give some love to DFG, who went on Apple Podcasts and gave us a five-star rating and commented how much they enjoyed the show back in the spring around draft time. DFG, I hope you enjoy it even more here in the fall and continue listening throughout the year. So thanks to DFG and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's get this show going. Once again, once the regular season starts, we will transition here into our Saturday scouting segment. That will be a fun look at an upcoming matchup with my guy Ben Fennell, who also travels around the country to college games throughout the year. So I'm really looking forward to that segment. No games this week, obviously, so we're skipping Saturday scouting. It's time for the Draft Mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, so we got one question this week from Patrick Fitzgerald on Twitter, at PatrickFitz95. Really excited about the the show re-jumping on, uh, and he's got a question. Do we think the old left tackle over right tackle is still an argument in an NFL war room? Would team draft an A-plus rank right tackle over an A-rank left tackle? That's a really, really good question, especially that latter part of it. I think really it's going to come down to the team and how they value, what they value at the position. What do they view as the most important traits for the offensive line? I will say that the left tackle over right tackle argument really doesn't mean much anymore. And you can look at what the, the Eagles have in Jason Peters and Lane Johnson. Lane Johnson is a freak show athlete, and you might say he's not a prototypical right tackle. He's not that you know big, strong mauler, and while he is that guy because he's got an insane skill set, he's not a guy that you would say, yeah, he's a prototype right tackle. He's more of that dancing bear left tackle type. But what, look at the players that he had to match up against last season during the Super Bowl run. He had guys like Von Miller. He had guys uh, you know, like what the New York Giants were able to throw at him with Jason Pierre-Paul on that side. You had Demarcus Lawrence with the Dallas Cowboys on that side. You had uh, Justin Houston against the Kansas City Chiefs. You had uh, the, guy, the duo that the L.A. Chargers have. I mean, this is a, t- a position now, left defensive end, where you're starting to see some of the premier pass rushers in the entire NFL coming off that side. So you need both. 
both both pass protectors to be able to drop back, be light on their feet, and be able to protect the corner. For, forget about blind side versus the the open side. You need to be able to protect both the left tackle and right tackle. Both guys need to be able to get back in their set and protect against the speed rush. So to me, yes, I think the left tackle over right tackle argument is a little bit overrated at this point. It's a little bit of an antiquated term. That being said, we all still kind of fall into the trap of saying, yeah, this guy's a classic right tackle. You know, when you watch Orlando Brown at Oklahoma last year and he's 350 pounds and he's moving guys left and right in the Big 12 who are 100 pounds less than him, you say, yeah, this guy's a classic right tackle. Yeah, he lined up in the Hall of Fame game last week at right tackle for the Baltimore Ravens even though he was a left tackle his whole career. That being said, I still think that that left tackle versus right tackle argument, it doesn't exist anymore. To me, how I list guys, and this is just me personally, I I list offensive linemen in preparing for the draft in two separate groups. There are guys that play tackle and guard, and there are guys that play guard and center. And obviously there's those rare players that have that five-position versatility. But when you're narrowing down your roster, and we're going to be getting to this point now in a few weeks from now as the regular season gets closer, where you're narrowing down your roster from, you know, 12, 13 offensive linemen down to seven or eight, you're really going to be looking at who who are the guys that can play tackle and guard for you and who are the guys that can play guard and center. And when I came to that realization a couple years ago, that's when I really decided, you know what, that's how I'm going to view offensive linemen in the draft through that kind of prism. So that's how I group these players. And I think it's going to be a really interesting group on on both fronts here in this upcoming, uh, upcoming draft. I'm excited to talk about more of them with you. But really good question there from Mr. Fitzgerald. I really enjoy uh, questions like that more on a philosophical standpoint. So that'll do it. That's the first edition as we come back here from the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm really, really excited to keep things going here. Great stuff from Tony Pauline, Mark D'Onofrio, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, or, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And, again, please take a few seconds, go rate the show, Leave us a comment. Don't be afraid to leave a question on there as well because I'd love the ability to answer it here on the podcast. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.